So I'm going to actually have you stand back up in just a moment, but for now, you can still find your seat. Um, so the game, the game that we're going to play is to introduce our topic for the day. So the topic that we're dealing with today is the word of the year from 2018. So each year, Merriam-Webster, the dictionary, chooses what they call the word of the year for whatever given year it is. And um, this year, that since we're nearing the end of 2018, they chose their word, and they've announced it, and I'm about to reveal it to you, but first I want to give you four options and have you pick from those four options which you think it might be. Um, one of them is correct, and the other three are good guesses. Um, so to do this, the way that I'm going to have you indicate your guess is you're all going to stand up, and there's going to be a pose that is associated with each word. And I need you to... <laughs> yeah, there it is. I need you to act out the pose that goes along with the word that you have chosen. And then we're going to count down from five, and I'm going to eliminate one word. If you are acting out the pose of the word that I've eliminated, you need to sit down. Everyone else can remain standing. We'll do several rounds of this until only the correct people are still standing. And uh, that's how we'll find our winners. Make sense? Okay. So let me introduce to you our words and tell you just a little bit about them and also explain to you our poses. So these are our words. Your choices are excelsior, laurel, feminism, and justice. Those are your four words. One of those is the correct word from the word of the year for 2018. Now, I should tell you how Merriam-Webster goes about choosing a word of the year because that will kind of help you to know which one you want to pick. They do it based on several things. One, what's going on in our society and our culture from that year. And all of these, I mean, you might not be able to figure out what all of these are doing up there, but I'll explain a little bit in a second. Um, and then two, it's based on, so back in the day when you had a hard copy of a dictionary, you would open it up and you could just look up a word and then put it away and nobody would ever know what word you looked up. Well, it's not like that anymore. For most of us, we look it up online and Merriam-Webster is tracking that and they know what words we're looking up. And so they know what words are trending and they know what words are not trending. And so the words that they pick for their word of the year is based on those two factors. Lots of lookups on merriam-webster.com and corresponds with things going on in our culture throughout the year. So, excelsior, laurel, feminism, justice. Let's take a look at our first pose. So the first pose is for the word excelsior. Now, the reason that this is trending in 2018 is not actually because it's our state motto, but because it was the personal motto of the late Stan Lee, who passed away recently. And when he passed away, people started saying, oh, what, what, what did his, his motto mean? They would look it up on MiriamWebster.com and Therefore, it showed up a bunch. And so the pose that you're going to do, go ahead and stand up. Everybody go ahead and stand, and I'm going to teach you the pose. The first pose is, since Stan Lee is the creator of Spider-Man, I want you to act out Spider-Man shooting a web out of his hand. All right? So everybody, can you do that? You can be as dramatic or as non-dramatic as you choose. I just need to be able to see that you are doing this pose and not one of the other three. Great. You're all really good at it. So the next word, the next word is Laurel. Now, some of you know why that's up there, especially now that you see the graphic that says Yanny or Laurel. There was this audio clip that, was, uh, that went viral this year, and there was a lot of controversy over whether it sounded like the word Laurel or whether it sounded like the word Yanny. Now, those sound nothing alike when I say them, but if you, if you don't believe me, go look this up when you get home and find the audio clip and click it. And I guarantee that if there are enough people in your group listening to it, some of you will hear one and some of you will hear the other. It's bizarre. It's very strange. So because of that, people were like, wait, what does this word actually mean? Or what does it sound like on Merriam-Webster? And they looked it up and this word spiked and that's why we see it on here today as one of our top contenders. Next we have, oh, and the pose for that is just point at your ear. 
right? Because are you hearing Laurel or are you hearing good? You're great. All right. So the next post is feminism. This is trending largely because of some of the women's marches that we're seeing. And then also just because this is something that's being talked about a lot more in our culture um, as of late. The pose that I've chosen for this is actually one of the symbols that feminists in America have taken on as one of their primary symbols, and that is Rosie the Riveter. And she is flexing a bicep, so go ahead and do her pose, flexing a bicep. Now, I know that some of you guys are just going to choose this one just because you want to show off your muscles, and that's fine. And the next word, the last word is justice. And for this, the pose is, well, the background to this, I guess, is the the Kavanaugh hearings, for one thing, right? So a lot of people looked up Justice Kavanaugh, and so that was trending. And also things like racial justice, criminal justice, and the like. And so the pose for this one is going to be cover your eyes like a blindfold, as you see Lady Justice doing in the picture, and then hold up your other hand as if you're holding up scales. Okay, so those are your four poses. Let's see them all at the same time. There they all are. Okay, don't move to the next slide just yet, Dwayne. Dwayne and I have to work very closely here to make sure that we don't reveal the answers before you pick your pose. So go ahead and everybody pick one of those four poses. Is it Excelsior, Laurel, Feminism, or Justice? Everybody is picking one. Wow, there's a whole lot of confusion out there. All right, this looks good. Okay, so now five, four, three, two, one. It is not Laurel. So if anybody is pointing at your ear, which we have a couple, if anybody is pointing at your ear, go ahead and take a seat. Okay, so Laurel is not the word. All right. So let's go one more slide. I believe we can do this without revealing anything. Yes, we can. All right, so now we know it is not Laurel, so now you can switch if you would like. I would recommend that you don't switch to Laurel. If you're out, you're still out. <laughs> okay, I would recommend that you don't pick Laurel. That's the wrong answer, but if you want to switch to one of the other three, you can, okay? And five, four, three, two, one, and it is not feminism. Okay, but that was an excellent guess. That was actually the word of the year from 2017. So you were only off by one year. All right. So when the worship team was rehearsing earlier, <laughs> this is fun, what? You're all stuck in your poses right now. <laughs> While the worship team was practicing earlier, um, Abby looked at the screen and she saw this because we were just going through the slides and she said, what do you have against feminism? <laughs> I said, no, 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 it'll make sense in context. So feminism is not the word of the year from 2018. It was the word of the year from 2017. So here you have only two options left, Excelsior and Justice. Again, if you're still in the game, you can pick either one that you would like. Five, four, three, two, one. Excelsior is not the word of the year. All right. So um, that leaves us with just one option, and it is Justice. So give yourselves a round of applause. Most of you got it correct. Congratulations. So the word of the year for 2018 is the word justice. And here's what Miriam Webster has to say about that. Our word of the year for 2018 is justice. It was a top look, at, uh, a top look up throughout the year at merriamwebster.com, with the entry being consulted 74% more than in 2017. The concept of justice was at the center of many of our national debates in the past year. Racial justice social justice, criminal justice, economic justice. In any conversation about these topics, the question of just what exactly we mean when we use the term justice is relevant and part of the discussion. And that's a great point. So when we use this word, we really need to know what we're talking about. And so while we're on Merriam-Webster, I looked up the definition and here it is. Justice, the maintenance or administration of what is just, especially by the impartial adjustment of conflicting claims, or the assignment of merited rewards or punishments. 
That's what I thought. <laughs> so sometimes when we look up a word, I think we end up more confused after the fact than we were before. At least that's my situation when I look up this definition. And it's, not, it's no fault of their own. Uh, this is a difficult word to pin down, and there's, there's a few reasons for that. But I think the main reason why we end up with so, such confused definitions as this, or such maybe not confused, I'm sure this is a great definition if I knew what it meant, but I don't. But the reason for that is because justice has multiple components to it, and it's tough to do in one definition. It's tough to uh, encompass all of those components. And so the main two components that I want to look at today are individual justice and societal justice. So individual justice is probably the one that comes to mind more often when we just think of the word justice. If somebody does something wrong, if somebody harms somebody else, they deserve to be punished or they have to be held accountable. And that's justice, right? If I steal something, if I hurt someone, if I kill something, right? I, I have to pay, and that's justice. If I don't pay, if I get away, if I get away with murder, we would say that is injustice, right? And so this is individual justice, and we are very familiar with that. The other side of it, and this is strange that it's part of the same word because these are seemingly not really linked. So look at societal justice. This is focused on caring for the marginalized in society. And if we think of it, we know that that's actually part of the word too. Because if we think of a society where people are wealthy because they have oppressed the poor, we would say that's not a just society. And it's not unjust based on individual justice, it's unjust based on societal justice. So we know that this is a part of the word. And then when we look at the Bible, and that's where we're going to be spending the rest of our time today, when we look at the Bible, we see that the Bible has a really big idea or a, a big concept of the word justice. And it's big for several reasons. One is because the word justice just shows up a lot in the Bible. It shows up in the Old Testament alone over 400 times. That's a lot. And then it also is big because the, the idea what what is included in the concept of justice in the Bible encompasses both of these. It encompasses individual, and it also encompasses societal justice. So let's take a look at a couple examples of each. First, we'll start with individual justice. So in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 18, we find this. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment you shall not pervert justice. You shall, show, you shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. So that's individual justice. If somebody has done something wrong, they need to be punished for it, and it needs to be done in a fair way, and there are lots of passages in the Bible that talk about this. Let's move now to societal justice, and it's in the same, we can find an example of this in the same book, so Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18, and we find this, he, who is God in this passage, God executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, the outsider or the stranger, giving him food and clothing. So this passage is also talking about justice, but it has nothing to do with punishing people for doing wrong. In fact, nobody in this passage did anything wrong. The idea of justice that we're seeing here is the idea of taking the marginalized and raising them up or caring for them. And God says that he does this. So usually when the Bible talks about societal justice, it focuses on a few groups of people. And these are the groups that generally it speaks of. The poor, the alien, the foreigner, the immigrant, or as we saw in that passage, the sojourner. 
the fatherless, the, orth the orphan, and the widow, and the small or powerless. And you can use whatever terms you want, but the idea is the marginalized or those who are very easily marginal marginalized or oppressed. God knows that these are the type of people who most often experience injustice, and the reason for that is because they simply don't have the power to defend themselves sometimes. Okay, it's easy to take advantage of people who don't have power, and that happens. Uh, that happens in the Bible. We know that that happens today, and we'll look at both of those. And so, um, here are some things that God says about these four groups of people in terms of justice. So, let's start in Exodus 23. Let's just start to understand the heart of God when it comes to these groups of people and also get a picture of how he uses the term justice and the concept of justice. You shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. Numbers 15, 16. One law and one rule shall be for you and the stranger who, who sojourns with you. So in other words, you have to treat the native-born people and the outsiders the same. You have to have one law that goes for both. Deuteronomy 27, 19. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And we have a couple more. Deuteronomy 1.17, you shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. So some of these, as you can see, they're kind of blending individual justice because this is kind of a court situation where you're hearing maybe a disagreement and you're trying to figure out who's right and who is wrong. That would be kind of individual justice, but you're also finding that he's talking about societal justice where you're treating the great and the small equally. And so there's some blending of the two. Um, and then Jeremiah, lastly, Jeremiah 22, verse 3 says, Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness, and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed, and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, the widow, and nor shed innocent blood in this place. So these are generally the groups of people who experience the most injustice. And as we've already said, the reason for that is because the weak and powerless can't defend themselves. And so justice would be when those who have power use that power for the benefit of those who do not have power. That's what societal justice really is. Those who have power using it for the benefit, not of themselves, but of those who do not have power. And we see that coming out really clearly in this next passage that we're going to take a look at from Proverbs chapter 31. Open your mouth for the mute. So literally, for those who cannot speak for themselves, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute, Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And this is the biblical picture of justice. So justice really at its core, and this is kind of me trying to encompass both sides, right, the, the individual and then also the societal. Justice is when we treat people as they truly are, image bearers of God. When we do that, we can't take advantage of people. When we do that, we can't have some parts of society living in luxury at the expense of other parts of society, right? So it is treating all people as they truly are image bearers of God, and that is justice. So if this is justice, then whose job is it, right? So if we've started to establish somewhat of a working definition my question is, is this our responsibility? Is this God's job? Is this somebody else's? And what we find in the Bible is that God has entrusted the role of justice to people. Um, so we look at Genesis 18, verse 19. This is as early as Abraham. So again, the concept, all these concepts are developing as we go through Scripture, and we'll look at a lot of passages today. And this is at the 
kind of at the start. This is, in fact, the first time the word shows up in the Bible. And God says, for I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised to him. So here we have God picking Abraham to act righteously and justly, and he's entrusting him with the power to do that, um, the power to enact justice in the world. Now, I think it's important to think about righteousness and justice. They show up a lot side by side. Righteousness is when I'm living right. Righteousness is my living correctly. Justice is my living right in relation to my neighbor, recognizing that they are a fellow image bearer of God. So they're similar, but they're um, not entirely synonymous. All right, so the problem is that, well, we have a couple more passages that talk about God entrusting people with the role of justice. Let's look at these. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And lastly, Isaiah 1:17. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. So you're starting to see a theme. You might think I'm reading the same verses over and over, and I'm not. There's just, this is how God talks in the Bible. So if God entrusted this role to people, how did they do? If the role of justice is something that he entrusted to people, how did they do with that? And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, even if you're not super familiar with the Old Testament, I think you know the answer to that is generally they did not do that great, right? So when God entrusted the role of justice to them, they, they failed miserably. And it's, we, we would not do well to point the finger because I think oftentimes we are the same, right? But certainly when we read the Old Testament, uh, the, the, if you want to memorize the entire Old Testament, here it is. <laughs> when it comes to justice, they generally did a bad job of it. That's the Old Testament. <laughs> All right, so let's look at Amos 2, uh, verses 6 and 7. This is a picture of the type of thing that was going on. How did they do? Well, here's how they did. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, this is just a figure of speech that he uses, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground, and they deny justice to the oppressed. So they're doing everything, basically word for word what God has just said not to do is what they are doing. And this is from one of the prophets. Every single prophetic book of the Old Testament is basically saying that same message. And so then God, God looks at this, and, and he's, he needs to figure out how, how bad is the problem? How pervasive is this problem of injustice among his people? And so he does something interesting. He picks another prophet named Jeremiah, and he commissions Jeremiah to go and to make a survey and figure out how bad is the problem of injustice among his people. And here's what he says to him. God says to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 5, verse 1, run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take note. Search her squares to see if you can find a man, one who does justice and seeks truth, that I may pardon her, her being Jerusalem. So God's saying, if you can find one person who seeks justice, just one, then I'll pardon Jerusalem. And unfortunately, as we know, the answer that he finds is he runs through the squares and he finds nobody who seeks justice. And then Jeremiah, being the human that he is, he says this, he makes this observation. He says, well, God, you told me to go through the squares, the city squares, and who lives in the city squares? Poor people. So that's why I didn't find justice, because poor people don't know how to do justice. 
Isn't that a human response? <laughs> and look what happens after that. In Jeremiah 5, verse 4, he says that exact thing. Jeremiah says, I thought, these are only the poor and they are foolish, for they do not know the way of the Lord, the requirements of their God. So I will go to the leaders and speak to them. Surely they will know the way of the Lord, the requirements of their God. But with one accord, they too had broken off the yoke and torn off the bonds, the bonds of justice. So what Jeremiah finds is that he was wrong to think, well, if I go to the great people, if I go to the rich people, if I go to the rulers, I'll find justice there. The human condition, regardless of wealth or lack of wealth, is that we tend towards injustice. And that was Jeremiah's experience. So, um, Psalm 14, verse 3, kind of a summary statement of how bad things got. They, they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is, there is none who does good, not even one. So if you're God at this point, you have created people, they're supposed to act righteously, and they're supposed to act justly towards one another, and they're supposed to care for one another, and they're supposed to be impartial and fair, and they fail on every count. And the, the the powerful use that power to their own advantage and they oppress the poor. And, and if you look and you find that that's every single person, which is what we've just established, is that that is every single person. The question is, what do you do? If you're God, what do you do? I mean, this is a problem. This is not the way it was supposed to be, and yet every single person is doing injustice. And I think if I were God, this would be the point where I would say, I'm going to take justice into my own hands and judge righteously. And if I judge righteously, I'll find that how many people are unjust? All of them. And wipe them all out. Right? And that would be a just thing to do. That would actually be just. He would be holding people accountable for their actions. Right? That's individual justice. And recognizing that they've been trampling the poor and the oppressed and all this and saying, nope, no more. But instead, God does something very different. And you're all at this point probably thinking, I'm glad Jake is not God. <laughs> um, so God does something very different. In Isaiah 59, this is kind of getting us inside the mind of God. So this is his working his way through this problem. In Isaiah 59, starting in verse 14, it says this, Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Okay, so the person who tries to stop doing evil is punished for it, right? Which is the opposite of justice. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought. And at that point, again, I would expect the word to be justice. God found that we had failed at justice, and so God brought justice. That is a logical end to that sentence, but he doesn't do that. It says, his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. Okay, so we're kind of going to leave some of the mystery there for a minute, and we're going to solve that as we go along. So why does God all of a sudden switch to salvation, terms like salvation, instead of just justice? So what God does is he, instead of being the powerful God that he is and sitting on his throne of justice and, and judging everyone, instead of doing that, he gives up his power. And we know this story. This is the story that we've been talking about about Christmas. He gives up his power. He gives up his throne. 
He comes to earth and he lives as the most vulnerable, in the most vulnerable way possible, as a baby born in a stable to a poor family, not even married. Right? It, every, every form of marginalized that you can think of is going on in the birth of Jesus. And so that's how he chooses to enter into the world. And then he lives a perfect life. And then at the end of his life, the one perfect, innocent person who has ever lived, he is killed. Right? After showing us how to love, after showing us all of this um, grace and mercy, he's killed for it. Right? Which is the greatest injustice in all of history. And we see in John chapter 3, verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, so that would be justice or judgment, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And again, this is the idea of salvation. So we want justice. We want God to come in and judge, but the problem is we're guilty too. We recognize that. We have done injustice as well. And so instead, God recognizes we need something bigger than justice. We need salvation. We need forgiveness. And so... Acts chapter 8, verse 32. He's actually quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from Isaiah, but I'm going to read it from Acts. It says this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. Now this is talking about Jesus and his experience as a man. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. So this is Luke writing the book of Acts, and he's just trying to wrap his head around what has just happened. He says, who can even describe what has just happened? Because God, instead of judging everyone, has given mercy, and the very people that he extends mercy to kill him in the greatest act of injustice in all of history. What is God going to do? And what we find is Jesus knew that this was going to happen. None of this caught him by surprise. Again, this is quoting from Isaiah. This was all prophesied that this is the way it was going to go down. And then in Luke 23, we find Jesus' response to all of this, the way that he was treated. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So we discover that Jesus' goal was not to condemn, but to forgive and to show us how to forgive. So in light of all of this, what should we do? And I think there are a few things that we can, that we can do. Um, one is extend mercy and forgiveness to others. So recognizing that, that God chose not to judge us, that he chose not to punish and wipe us all out, and instead he extended mercy, we can extend that same mercy to others. Um, it's really interesting, actually, how the Bible talks about this, because it's not just a suggestion. He's not just saying, you know, because I did this, you should really do the same thing. So this, this first verse is kind of soft. Ready? Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Which just makes it sound like, hey, if you decide to be merciful, you'll probably be shown mercy too. But look at how it's phrased in James 2, verse 13. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's a little bit harsher. This makes it sound like if you, having been given such mercy and forgiveness, if you choose not to extend that same mercy and forgiveness to others, that will be retracted from you, and you won't actually have it. That's how it sounds to me. And look at this next one. It's talking about forgiveness. 
uh, Matthew 6, 14, and we read this passage a ton, but we skim over this. For if you, do, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. He's making it very clear that our forgiveness and our being able to receive mercy has something, there's a very close link to our extending that to others. And I think the link is this. If we truly understand that we've been forgiven, if that has actually sunk into our heart, that will change the way that we live and we will extend that same mercy and forgiveness to others. If we are not extending that same mercy and forgiveness to others, that shows that it never got to our heart. And so that's how I think that all works out. So the next thing that we need to do is remember that we are all image bearers of God. I think it's a lot harder to take advantage of someone or to mistreat someone when we remember that God's image is in them as much as it is in us. And so remembering that we are all image bearers of God. Next, seek justice for others. So just because God, uh, just because God gave us salvation and forgiveness and mercy in place of justice doesn't mean that we all of a sudden should stop seeking justice for other people. So even after all these passages that I've just read, James says this, James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphan and widow in her distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So this is not something that is done away with when God chose to extend mercy. So the question is, will we choose to use our power in a way that is of benefit to those who are marginalized, or will we use it simply for our own good and our own benefit? Bruce Waltke puts it this way, the righteous are those who are willing to disadvantage themselves to the advantage of their community. The wicked are those who are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. So when we're talking about anything as big as justice, I think sometimes we are led to one of two really unhealthy places, okay? And so this next thing that I want to take a look at with you, don't try to be a hero, but don't quit either, is helping us to avoid those two extremes. So I think the two extremes that we can go to are when we see the Bible telling us, act justly and seek justice for all people. Some of us, those of us who maybe have a really big ego, are like, yeah, I, am, I can do that. I'm amazing, and I'm going to seek justice, and I'm basically like all these Marvel heroes, and I'm going to do this all by myself. And he says, no, you cannot do this all by yourself. And then others of us, maybe, who maybe tend towards downplaying our ability to do things, would say, well, what could I possibly do? There's so much injustice in the world. There's nothing that I could do. My measly efforts could never make a difference. And those are both, I think, equally dangerous places to go. And so what, what I want to direct our attention to is actually a passage, not from the Bible, but it's a commentary. This is a Jewish commentary on the Bible. The Mishnah is simply um, early Jewish commentary on uh, the Torah, uh, the, the first five books of the Bible. And so here's a phrase that we see from one of the rabbis who was contributing to the Mishnah. And he said, is it, he said, it is not incumbent upon you to complete the work, but neither are you at liberty to desist from it. And I love that phrase because that tells those of us who think that, well, we have to do it all ourselves. It says, no, it's not your responsibility to complete all the work yourselves, but at the same time, that's not an excuse to do nothing. You have to do your part. And so I think when we're dealing with something as big as justice, these are helpful riverbanks to kind of guide us. So practically, what can we do? What are some practical steps that we can take 
to establish justice, seek justice, pursue justice. And as I was preparing for today, I recognized that this is not stuff that I deal with every single day, right? This isn't really my field of experience. But I know people who are dealing with issues of justice every single day. And so I called two of them. And one of them, many of you will know, uh, when I say his name, it's a very familiar name around here. And he's a public defender in Oakland, California. His name is Jimmy Newman. And I had a, a really good call uh, with Jimmy earlier this week, and I got to kind of pick his brain. I said, Jimmy, you're someone who is dealing with issues of justice day in and day out, every single day, and talk to me. What, what is your definition of justice? What is your experience of in your line of work? Where have you seen justice, and where have you seen injustice? And he shared story after story after story, and it was really, really helpful. Unfortunately, I don't have time to share all of that, but one thing that he said that I think, because I asked him, I said, you grew up here. You know what it's like living in Clifton Park. What would you tell to those of us who still live here in Clifton Park? What is one thing that we can take away? And Jimmy said this. He said, he said, we need to stop thinking this way. We need to stop thinking like, I am where I am because of all my hard work. And they are where they are because of the bad choices they have made. And that was the one thing that I really wanted to get across is that when he said that, that really ran deep because oftentimes I do think that I am where I am because I am a hard worker and I've made the right decisions. And Jimmy walked me through this whole process of, no, you're really where you are because of a lot of factors that are outside of your control and maybe you're a hard worker too, but there's so many factors that are outside of your control, like where you were born, when you were born, your family, where you were raised, what kind of ethics and values your family instilled in you at a young age. Um, where you went to school, where you, <laughs> so many factors. None of those really have anything to do with my choosing. And so, uh, and, and similarly, he shared all these stories of people who I may look at and say, well, they just made a bad choice and they have to bear the consequences. That's justice, right? Just deal with the consequences of your own sins. And he said, that's not often, and that might be true. And he said, but that's not enough because it, when we look at the reason why people do what they do, there's a story. And when we understand the story, it begins to make a little bit more sense. And so the big thing is just this understanding. I, I cannot think this way anymore. I can't think that I am where I am just because of my good choices and my good work ethic and that other people are where they are because of their bad choices. The second person that I spoke with was Mark Sauter. And Mark was a, he's retired, but he was a police officer in serving in Albany for 28 years, the last 16 years of that as a, as a detective. And to kind of summarize what he has seen, which is a lot, he said, I've seen enough to know that I've seen too much. And I imagine that that is true. Uh, serving as a detective for 16 years in Albany is probably, he's probably seen just about everything. Um, now he said this, he said, we have a great justice system, but it has flaws and it's broken. And he talked about some of the reasons why it's broken. Um, one of the reasons why it is broken is because we are asking of the justice system to do things that the justice system was never intended to do. Justice is bigger than just the justice system. That's a lot of justs. Um, so if we are expecting the justice system to be able to raise our children or to correct them or to put them back on a healthy track when they've gotten off track or to take the people in society who are making bad choices and make all of a sudden people who are making good choices, we're asking too much of the justice system, the criminal justice system. He says justice needs to be bigger than that. Justice is keeping people from ending up in a situation where they would need to go see Mark or go see Jimmy. And part of that is on us. 
And we're not involved, I'm not involved in the criminal justice system, but there is a role that I can play. He talked about the, the crux of the issue, he said, is that um, in many of these families or in many of these um, individuals who are marginalized, there is a lack of a, fa a father figure, there is a lack of what we would consider a stable family unit, there is no God, many times, um, or no good understanding of God, and there are no morals, no understanding of right and wrong. And so he said, if we're trying to correct some of these wrongs, rather than just locking people up, what we need to do is combat these areas. Okay, and so we, we got to talk through a lot of different ways that would be productive ways to fight back against some of these problems. And some of these things are things that you're all already doing, which is amazing. So I think of, um, I think of uh, angel tree, and I think of people who are getting involved in the lives of families who may have someone in prison or may um, probably fit the definition of someone, a family that could be marginalized by our society. And many of you in this church are coming alongside those families, building relationships, and instilling some of these values and teaching them and showing them that they have value, that they are image bearers of God, and helping them to hopefully not end up in a place where they ever have to go see Jimmy or Mark. No offense to them. Uh, foster care. I think of what Josh and Jen do and others in our congregation as well. Foster care is taking kids who, who maybe don't have a secure family situation um, and bringing them into your own family um, and helping them to understand their, that they're loved and that they are valuable and helping them to know God if you're, if you're able to, to teach some of that. Uh, the city mission. I know we have people who work in the city mission or volunteer at the city mission. Um, the city mission is taking people who by all definitions are marginalized and showing them that they have value, showing them that they are image bearers of God and hopefully doing so, doing so in such a way that they are able to enter into society, re-enter into society in a uh, productive way. I think of homework help. We have high school students who are here, and we have other people, we have adults as well, who go to Cheryl's Lodge every single week and, uh, and help kids with their homework. And why is this important? Well, one of the things that Mark actually pointed out, Mark is the police officer, one of the things that he pointed out is that when he's sitting outside of a school, so if there's early dismissal and they have to sit outside of a school, as the kids are dismissed in Albany, one of the things that he noticed is depending on the neighborhood where you're in, the kids walk out of school and they have no books. They, they don't bring homework home. Their parents are not sitting at home waiting for them to say, oh, did you do your homework? Or let me help you do your homework, right? And so this is one of the reasons why people end up in the place that they are is because of, again, not choices that they have made, but systems that they are a part of. And one of the ways that we can help to fight against that or one of the ways we can pursue justice is by coming in where there is a lack, coming in where there is a need, showing up and helping kids with homework. Sometimes it's as simple as that. Um, mentoring. Lastly, Mark said, just affirming people. One of the best things that we can do is take someone at a young age, see the good things in them, and speak life into those and just affirm those qualities in them. And they can grow into those traits. So these are just some practical ways that you and I, who are not detectives probably, and who are not public defenders, most of us, um, that you and I can pursue causes of justice in our world and in our society. And so one thing that I want to leave with you is it's actually a physical thing. I want you to take this with you to remind you of the concept of justice and to remind you throughout your week to be pursuing justice. And if we can go, perfect. So here's the last picture. So Lady Justice is always portrayed with several things. One is a sword, which didn't quite make it into the picture. 
Two is the scale representing that judgment or justice is impartial. And three, it, sorry, the scale is weighing of evidence. Evidence needs to be weighed. And then three is the blindfold, which represents impartiality in justice. So I'm going to give you all a Christmas gift, and it is a blindfold. I want you to take it with you, and I want you, every time you see it, to be reminded of justice. And hang it in your car, put it in your room, put, I don't care where you put it, but when you see it, be reminded of, am I pursuing justice? Is, am I in some meaningful way, in some practical, tangible way, pursuing justice for those around me? And um, you might find this comes in handy uh, when you are maybe on a plane flight or perhaps during, <laughs> during your next time here when I'm preaching, you can bring these. It helps you to sleep. <laughs> but bring them with you. The ushers will hand them to you as you're leaving, um, as you're leaving the service today. So um, let's, let's remember to seek justice, and um, in doing that, God is pleased. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have called us to a very high standard, and thank you that when we fail to meet that standard, you are gracious and you extend mercy and forgiveness. I pray that we would extend the same mercy and forgiveness to others, and also that we would use all of the power and the resources that we have to help those around us who do not have the power and resources. Um, I pray that we would be people who demonstrate your heart um, and your um, compassion and your fairness and your justice. Thank you for your love in Jesus' name. Amen.